0: I'm Jane Travis and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show. It's great to have you here. Hi and welcome back and if it's your first time here, it's great to have you and you've come at a great time because today is one of our guest podcasts and I really love having people come and join me on the podcast. It's great, isn't it, to listen to other people's points of view, to sort of, you know, listen to some of their knowledge and their experience and just learn some new things. Things that, you know, maybe I've not thought of before, or they look at things different ways to me. Of course, we're all different, aren't we? And, you know, today's no different because today I've got Lindsay Bryan Podfin here from Mind Money Balance to come and talk to us about financial anxiety for therapists. So, who is Lindsay? Well, if you don't know Lindsay and you might know her, Lindsay describes herself as a biracial, so Filipino and white female, a social worker turned financial therapist, an author and a speaker. And she says, I talk about money in a way that doesn't make you feel gross, which is pretty cool. Now she says that she believes that personal finance and mental health are inherently intersected with politics, race, and gender. And her goal is to cultivate a shame-free space to engage with money. She says that she wants all of her clients to feel powerful and abundant In their relationship with money and to feel comfortable bringing their whole selves into therapy and coaching. She's the author of a book, The Financial Anxiety Solution. And this is a self paced workbook that is going to help you to stop stressing about money and apply some therapy techniques to your relationship with money. And she also, if you like a podcast, she also produces the Mind, Money, Balance podcast too. And in that, she explores lots of different things to do with you know, money mindset and financial anxiety that therapists might have. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, that's great, but what does financial anxiety for therapists even mean? Well, take a listen and I'll ask Lindsay. Lindsay, I can't tell you how pleased I am that you're here. I've I've just been dying to speak to you and I love
1: what you do. And yeah, great to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I have been listening to your voice for so long, so it's fun to be on this side of things. It feels a bit dreamlike, right? Like I'm talking to somebody I know and who's been speaking to me for a long time, so this will be a lot of fun. Oh, bless you. Bless you. And this is,
0: this is a subject that actually I'm really interested in. It's something that I, you know, I've been doing my own work around this as well. Um, But we're going to be looking a little bit at... Well, we're talking about financial anxiety that therapists might have. I mean, maybe you can tell me what you mean by that.
1: Of course. So financial anxiety is a lot like traditional anxiety in that it shows up in our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors. And when we experience financial anxiety, the sensation of nervousness or worried or the physical feelings of your heart racing or sweating... Anytime you're looking at or engaging with your money, so that could be when you have to bill your clients, when you have to let your accountant know, you know, things going on with taxes, that is is financial anxiety. And and we expect to experience it at certain points, just like we expect to experience good old-fashioned traditional anxiety at certain points. But when it gets to be problematic, I find that it tends to fall into two different buckets and really they're two sides of the same coin and that's financial procrastination and financial perfectionism and when it comes to clinicians having financial anxiety can not only impact your financial bottom line but also can impact your work with clients right if you're if you're procrastinating on asking them to pay their invoices or if you're experiencing perfectionism over what exactly the right fee is and you don't implement a new fee structure and you sit on it for a year because you're experiencing this perfectionism of wanting to get it exactly right, can really impact your clinical work, right? Because our clients can pick up on the the discomfort, the nervousness, the worriedness, and it can really impact our our clinical work as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm completely hearing what you're saying. And is it possible to be in both camps? Because I'm sure that I've both
1: procrastinated and been a, perfect, a perfectionist around things around money as well. Absolutely. And that's why I said they're really two sides of the same coin, because often we want to do it the right way. And then wanting to do it the right way, we put off doing it at all. So mm. absolutely, Jane. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I suspect that the,
0: m- there are many, many um, therapists, many, many counselors that that have fears around this. I don't think this is, you know, I've spoken to lots of counselors where they haven't put the prices up for a long time. And I suspect this is around,
1: I mean, would you say this is, you know, based around this anxiety? Oh, absolutely. We don't want to be judged by our peers. We don't want to be judged by potential clients. We worry that we're pricing too high or too low, or we're going to be out of reach for somebody or not out of reach for somebody. There's so much noise that goes into putting how much you charge for a service. So instead we put something like contact me for current rates. Mm. And when we think about it from a potential client's point of view, the more barriers we put in the way of them getting their first therapy session scheduled, the worse off it is, right? If somebody is landing on your website and they're already experiencing whatever the stress is that you help your clients with, when they land on your website, I believe it should be as easy as possible for your clients to schedule, and it should be as transparent as possible about what you do and how you'll charge for your services. To me, that is really honoring your your potential client's dignity and making it as easy as possible for them, right? If, If I am a client and I'm in distress and I'm looking at five different clinicians' websites, you may very well be the best fit for me. But if you put on there that you're hiding your prices and that I have to contact you to get the price, that means I have to jump through so many extra hoops. Whereas if somebody else says, I charge this many pounds for a 50-minute session and here's how you can book, it, it it to me, it really demonstrates such a level of respect right away. And it's a form of consent in that your client gets to decide whether or not that fee is doable for them. You don't have to project onto them all the things that you think it's too high or too low or anything like that. You say, this is how much I charge and this is how you can. Oh. And it sounds, you know, so, so easy for me to say, but I know what it's like to be on the other side and to be varying your prices because of all this anxiety and fear.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um- we have to make it as simple as possible for people to just say, right, that's the right person for me. And, and what you're saying there is so true. Sometimes we'll try to we try and second guess what somebody else can afford, and we have absolutely no idea what somebody else can afford. We have absolutely no idea, you know, what what income that they've got. And I think if we if we're not careful, we can almost infantilize people. You know, we can. It's you know, and that's not good. In the counseling relationship is it
1: no not at all and i so appreciate that you said that because we have a tendency again in this perfectionism versus procrastination with the perfectionism we have a tendency to over explain things on our website so i i recently saw a therapist website who had a sliding scale which is you know that's their choice and that's what works for them lovely but I kid you not, it was like a blog post length about why they offered a sliding scale, about who was qualified for different tiers of the scale, about when and how they opened up those spaces. And I can imagine, again, as a client who's looking for help, if I land on that, it's a lot of information and overwhelm. And I just want to know. How much are you going to charge me and can I book in with you? Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and so if you're going to offer a sliding scale, it could really be as simple as I offer two spaces at a sliding scale at this time they're full or at this time they're available, whatever it is. And if you'd like to explain to them why you do what you do, then maybe actually put it in a blog post, but not on your services page or booking page. Because there's already so much overwhelm happening from a client's point of view, mm. I think
0: that's a great idea. I'm a big one for saying that. You know, put something in, make the information as clear as possible. but Then have a have something where they can read more about it and actually exactly. Open it up in a blog, so then you can, if you want to, explain it a bit more. You know, it's making me think. When I was first a counsellor back in the day, I mean, I, I started in counselling in 2005, so many many moons ago, and on my website. I got told off by, I have a friend who who was a self-employed electrician and I was saying, have a look at my website. Is this, is this okay? Not that they knew, they were an electrician for God's sake. And I said, have a look at my website. What do you think? And where it was talking about my fee? I mean, it was like, I was apologizing and I was basically saying, this is the amount I charge. I don't get any, any money from the government for this. And I wish I could make it cheaper, but I can't because I've got expenses. And he said, you really need to change that, Jane. And when I, th- <laughs> I think back of it, and it was, it was because I felt bad for charging. And that, I think, was down to a money mindset thing.
1: Would, would you agree? Absolutely. And, and in our field, we are told that we must be accessible to all, but that doesn't exist. Mm. Accessibility for everybody does not exist. The second we put a price on our services, we become inaccessible for somebody. The second we have an office that is in a downtown space that has stairs, we physically become inaccessible to some people. The second we say we only see people during the mornings or we only work on Sundays, we become inaccessible. And so we have to stop pretending that we are a one size fits all. As you know, and as you talk about a lot on your podcast, we do serve a certain person or people, and that's not a bad thing just like your friend who's the electrician, they probably don't say, oh yeah, I serve everybody from stadiums to, to making house calls. No, they say, this is the type of electrician services that I provide. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong or bad about that. But in our field, we're told that it is bad when we charge for our services, when, you know, our systems are are so badly broken and we are told as counselors it's our individual responsibility mm-hmm. to fix them and that's just simply not true we can we can advocate for them to be fixed we can vote for politicians that are in alignment with our values but we as individuals as, as small business owners <laughs> we cannot overhaul these systems we can make conscientious decisions that will create a positive ripple effect in our community but we are not solely responsible for the burdens of the systems that are failing.
0: Absolutely, and here in the UK, we have the NHS. So, yes, you know, lucky you. <laughs> well, lucky us. But again, you know, the NHS unfortunately is, is underfunded. There are very long waiting lists. Sure. So, again, I think this can really sort of tie in with our issues around money because in our in the UK, really this should be free, it should be available on the NHS, you should get some mental health care for free on the NHS. and you still can, but you might have to wait for six months or more, sure. or you might have to have, you know, six half-hour telephone sessions or, mm. you know, you've got, you've got no sort of choice there. But I think for counsellors, there's still that feeling that, well, the public, the general public believe that this should be free, and therefore are they going to think I'm awful because I want to or I need to? charge for this and i think it's i think that makes it all very very complex and very very difficult to manage
1: yeah yeah and i appreciate you spelling that out for me because i think i mean your audience can hear i'm not in the uk i'm <laughs> based in the united states and in the united states we have similar safety nets but those types of healthcare safety nets come with all of those restrictions that you're talking about so for us we have medicaid for folks who are considered low income but the mental health care that they receive has to be through a certain government entity and they're only allowed 20 sessions per calendar year. So for some people, 20 sessions is enough Mm -hmm. and for others, that barely scratches the surface and the same problems exist. There's often a long wait. You don't get to choose your clinician. So you might be matched with somebody who really doesn't have any specialty in the thing that you need help with. So going back to this idea of, am I bad if I charge for my services? I mean, my answer is going to be a resounding no, but it makes perfect sense why counsellors would be worried that it makes them bad. But for any other job, there is an exchange of money for the goods, services, or products that we provide. Mm. And we expect it ourselves. You know, I wouldn't think, right, okay, I need to go for acupuncture
0: and look at the prices and think, oh my God, what terrible people because they're going to charge me for this. You know, when I went to physiotherapy, It didn't, you know. That's not what's going through my head. But we almost have an expectation that people are going to think that about
1: us, and I just don't think that's necessarily true. And I think maybe other counsellors will think that, (laughs) but the general public really won't. And for those other counsellors who are judging and are thinking they have to work for free, I would invite them to remember, like that's not work then. That's volunteering, Mm. and that's very different. I personally, in my practice at this snapshot in time charge for my services and do not offer a sliding scale because I prefer to keep my volunteering separate from my business. doesn't mean that I wouldn't change my mind to do a sliding scale in the future or offer something else in the future. But for me, what feels really good is working long-term with a particular organization in my county, in my community, that really matters to me and having that long-lasting relationship that isn't tied to my business. And the reason I'm able to do something that's been going, I've been doing this, oh my goodness, for almost three years now, every week, is that I have the financial safety net from my business to be able to do that, right? Mm. It's very different than, oh, I'll cook a meal once a year, or I will write a check once a year. The way that I'm able to give back to my community is very different because I'm financially secure in my business, Mm. And when you're financially secure in
0: your business, it it, it has such a, a massive impact on all aspects of your life. I mean, for me, I mean, of course, I want to make money. I think you know, it's not many of us don't want to make money and be comfortable. But for me, being comfortable isn't about having a posh car, and it isn't about posh holidays. For me, being comfortable is about safety and security. So, having you know, being secure financially isn't just about being well. It's not about being greedy. It's about making sure that your needs are being met. And I just see it as really good quality counselor self-care.
1: Absolutely. And I love what you said that you know what feels best for you. And I think that's what counselors have to think about as well, which is what does financial wellness feel like for me? What does safety and security look like for me? What types of self-care are the most important for me? So for me, I have self-care that ranges on the the low end financially and on the high end financially. For me, I love baking. That is my my go-to coping skill. And you know it doesn't cost much to buy a bag of flour and sugar and vanilla and whatnot. That's a relatively low cost self-care activity. But for me, I am a posh holiday person. And so every single month I'm contributing to a savings account so that my partner and I can take a nice trip at least once a year And that is a value for me that is incredibly important. And I've learned over the years that for me, what I need for my mental health is a longer stretch of holiday versus a lot of my friends who are better at, you know, a three or four day long weekend, that rejuvenates them. For me, I actually find it incredibly stressful. I don't get to actually feel like I am. For me, I really need 10 plus days in a row to really get that type of restoration that I need. And because I know that about myself, I can financially plan for it.
0: Lindsay, you're making me think about having 10 plus days just sitting by a pool somewhere. And it's making me just think, oh my God, I so want that at the moment. Just sitting by a pool with a book. I mean, it's, and that's not just luxury. That really is good quality self-care, isn't it? Because like you say, it's it's okay taking a break at a weekend, but sometimes you just need a longer stretch. You just need to be able to a longer amount of time. So if somebody does have financial anxiety, I mean, how do people either A, know that they've got it, and B, make steps to, you know, change that?
1: Sure. So how do you know you have financial anxiety? To me, as I mentioned at the the start of this episode, we will all experience moments of financial anxiety, of feeling nervous, worried, on edge, when we are dealing with some sort of financial interaction. But when it becomes problematic is when it persists beyond that specific interaction. So for example, maybe you feel a little bit stressed when you have to do your monthly billing for your clients, but once you submit those invoices or run those cards, you feel okay. Financial anxiety may mean that you're experiencing this worry to the point where you can't bill somebody, where you're experiencing the sensations of worry and fear even after you run those invoices. And that to me is a sign that there's some financial anxiety. So is that sensation of anxiety lingering outside of the financial stress? That's part one or part A. And then part B is what was it? What do you do with it? Yeah, I mean, if, if yeah. how would you manage it? If this is something that you're really struggling with, So managing it, just like traditional anxiety, kind of comes in multiple forms. So we definitely want to work on how we relate to money. So that's kind of the thoughts um, or the physical feelings. And the behaviors taking action usually does involve some financial literacy. So that is understanding the basics of personal finance and business finance. And the problem is that I find so many clinicians, when they feel that financial anxiety, they do what they're really good at, which is I'm really good at researching, I'm really good at problem solving. I know what I'll do. I'll read a bunch of books on finance. I'll listen to a ton of podcasts about money and I will soak it all up and learn. And that's like a part of the equation. Uh, Dan Kahneman, who is one of the kind of premier Nobel laureates in behavioral finance, found that 80% of our money decisions are not dollars and cents based they're behavioral, they're emotional. And so that is where I actually think us counselors really excel. We know what to do with uncomfortable feelings. We know what to do with responses that don't make a ton of sense, right? We have a boatload of coping skills available to us and it's about applying those tools in relationship to our money. So yes, learn about the basics of money that will help dial down some of that anxiety, but also ask yourself, why is this making me so uncomfortable? What's making it so hard for me to engage with my money? Is there a dollar amount in my savings account that would make me feel secure? Am I able to financially pay for not just my business expenses, not just my life expenses, but for a sustainable life, which includes some of those things, Jane, that you and I talked about. Do you have time for your version of self-care, for your version of hobbies, to spend your time and money in a way that is important to you. So I actually think therapists and counselors are so well-equipped to cope with financial anxiety, but we put it in this bucket of, well, once I have a budget in place, it'll be better. Once I have my taxes sorted out, it'll be okay. And that may be a part of it, but we also have to dig into why does it feel so uncomfortable for me? What are the things getting in the way of me taking those steps?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean I've been I've done some work around my own money mindset and it's been so interesting because of course and and something that I find interesting going slightly off on a tangent is how often do we talk about money with clients in the counselling room it's it's a taboo subject still people will talk about you know sex and affairs but they rarely talk about money in the counselling room and it makes me think you know as counsellors are we doing that as well are we avoiding conversations about money. Are we avoiding thinking about it because we're so caught up in these ideas that if I talk about money, think people are going to think I'm greedy or there's something wrong with me or I'm bad or I should be doing this because I love it. And I, I just find that so juicy and interesting to kind of really look at and really delve into because it's like with anything, isn't it? Once you start really exploring it and understanding it, then you can start making changes and protecting yourself and making it so that moving forward becomes something that's, that's easier for you and better
1: for you. Mm, I could not agree more. As counselors, we are not trained to talk to our clients about money or to unpack it. And you're so right. We are trained on trauma and sex and abuse and neglect, these really hard, heavy things but my trading told me, if somebody brings up money, your job is to give them a resource. So my job is to say, oh, call this you know, nonprofit. They will help you sort it out. But my job was never to dig into the emotional side of it. And what a disservice to my clients. And so that is specifically why, Jane, I sought out additional training in financial social work and in financial therapy. And my clinical work is all money, money psychology base because there's such a gap in this. Mm-hmm. There isn't one client that we work with who isn't impacted by money. Right. Absolutely. We all work and earn money or stay home with children or do caregiving, but every single one of us earns, spends, loans, lends, saves money. And it's a topic we don't talk about in the therapy room. And it is such a disservice to to our clients. I mean, think about
0: how often money has got in the way of relationships and the relationship breaks down Mm -hmm. because of resentments about money. And if people find it difficult to talk about it, then it's very difficult to, to move forward from that.
1: Absolutely. And depending on the year and what study you're looking at when we're talking about romantic relationships, arguments about money, not necessarily a lack of money or too much money, just the general argument about money is one of the leading causes of divorce and separation. And it it fights with infidelity for that number one spot year to year. But again, we're, we're trained to talk about infidelity and what that feels like and how to repair or how to, you know, lovingly to, you know, leave that relationship. But we don't talk about the money stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, what a disservice to our clients. If that's one of the leading causes of divorce and separation, why aren't we talking about mm,
0: it? Absolutely. And like, it's, it's a brilliant thing to talk about in the counselling room because it's all about, you know, where have these bloody ideas come from? Where is it, you know, where does it, what's the origin story? It's fascinating stuff. So, oh my goodness, it's fantastic. I'm just trying to think, am I financially anxious? <laughs> where am I being financially anxious? Yeah. So if somebody was... Thinking to themselves, yeah, I do. I do feel really worried about this. I mean, is there something practical that you might suggest? I mean, do you think like journaling is a good idea, or would you go get counselling to discuss it? Or
1: really good question. So I think everybody knows themselves best in terms of how they best process things. So for some people, it may be journaling and some good questions to ask. Just like traditional psychotherapy, we know that we soak up a lot of our beliefs about things as children. Think about how we think about things like food or exercise. We learn about those things when we are children and we, we form beliefs about those things as children. We do the same with money. So going back and kind of lovingly curious with, with a lot of curiosity, how can you ask yourself, what did I learn about money as a child? What did my parents or caregivers say or not say about money? What was my neighborhood or my community like? In terms of finances, what were some things that I soaked up? And so some of those journaling prompts can be quite helpful. And for other people, they may know, yeah, journaling just doesn't work for me. And yeah, seek out counseling. Um uh, good and the good and bad part about finding financial counseling right now is that it's a relatively new niche within the world of therapy. But I do see more and more therapists and counselors talking about it or engaging with it. So that is an option as well, is is to really check in and and say, what makes the most sense for me? Mm -hmm. Another option is to go, what's the thing, the tangible thing that I'm the most anxious about when it comes to money? Is it actually running those invoices at the end of the month for my clients? Is it putting my fees on my website? Is it raising my fees? Is it filing my taxes? What is the actual task that feels really hard? And then kind of doing the same processing around that. Why does this feel so scary? What do I need? Do I need to extend to myself some more kindness or do I need to talk to maybe a tax professional because I quite simply don't understand a lot of it? And when we don't understand things, it feels really overwhelming and uncomfortable.
0: Mm. And you're going to be you're going to feel anxious if you've got to deal with something like a, a big tax organization. You know that makes. In fact, I have been known to cry when I've been doing my tax return. It's, oh, yeah, it's just horrible. It's like it's a foreign the, it's, language. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it. It's these big scary professional. Oh, I don't know. It's just horrible. But mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about that. You know, I, I'm aware that there are a lot of coaches that work with issues around money. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking with my niche head on, mm-hmm. what a brilliant niche for people to have, you know, mm-hmm. work with people on the issues that they have around money. I, I think it's a niche that I don't think
1: I've seen counsellors sort of go into. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to see more and more of it, which I love, but we're still... In desperate need of more counselors in this niche. So to share with you and your audience, that's my my practice, and it's full. And when I last checked my waitlist, Jane, there were over ninety people on it. Wow! Yeah, my goodness! Yeah. And so what I do every time is I don't say, "Oh, please hang out on my waitlist, and I'll get to you in seven years." Right? That's not ethical. So I <laughs> say to them, "Here are some resources." But the problem is the resources are so few and far between. So if you're looking into doing financial counseling, I think it's a brilliant niche. And don't get stuck just on financial counseling. When I first started, I was like, oh, I'll just do financial therapy and and that'll be my niche, which is kind of like you talk about a seedling niche, I would say. But also think about, do you want to work with couples who money is the biggest issue? Do you want to work with young adults who are struggling around advocating for themselves financially? Do you want to work with families and who, who want to make sure that they raise their children to have healthy relationships with money? Do you want to work with folks who are moving into retirement and how work and identity and, uh, and money impacts that transition? There are so many different ways you can ethically and beautifully layer on something else on top of a money niche. Do
0: you know what that, that was, that makes me feel excited because that's mm. like a niche that I've not actually. I mean, I'm aware of money minds, I'm aware of issues around money, I'm aware of money coaches, I'm aware of money books, mm. I'm aware of all that. But I've never really been aware of counselors having that as a niche. And I think that would be such a good niche because it is so neglected, yet so important. Mm. So important. All of those things are so important. Like we say, how many relationships have broken down because of, you know, issues around money that could easily have maybe not easily, but but, but could have been fixed. It makes me excited even just thinking about that. So I I've, I've got goosebumps about that. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. I love the excitement around talking about money. I think that's also really powerful, right? I think so often we associate money with some of those feelings of constriction, of of shame and embarrassment and fear. But there's also, we can associate money with exciting things too, with calm and peace and joy. And that's really powerful too. Mm. And that fantastic holiday.
0: Yes. Yeah, that (laughs) fantastic (laughs) holiday that you can't have unless you make some money. Exactly. Oh, Lindsay, do you know what? It's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I know that people will have really enjoyed this because what you're doing is you're looking at things just in that slightly different way that helps us to just go oh that's interesting I wonder why that's happening and that's that's it that's what us as counsellors love we love to be able to just look at things in a slightly different way so thank you so much for coming and talking to us I've really really loved it I'm sure lots of people would like to come and connect with you so where is the best place for people to come and connect with you?
1: So I have a few places that I hang out. Everything is under the umbrella of my business, which is Mind Money Balance. So if you're on Instagram, that's where I like to hang out. If you're more of an email reader, you can add yourself to my newsletter list. And my podcast is of the same name. And a fun way to kind of get involved in my world and learn a bit more about your relationship to to money is to take my financial archetype quiz. It's at mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. You'll answer a few questions, and you'll learn a little bit about why you do what you do with money, and that will also add you to my email list. But of course, you can you can opt out if you decide I'm I'm not your cup of tea. <laughs> um, but cup that's a tea. fun <laughs> way to kind of play around with it.
0: Excellent, cool.
1: Um,
0: and you started doing reels as well, haven't you on Instagram? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so
1: cool. <laughs> yeah, you know it's so funny. I I, I used to think that. Social media was the only way to kind of drive things to my business. But I have since learned that actually most of my clients come to me by way of my website and podcast. And so that's given me so much more freedom and flexibility to just have fun on social. And so now I'm just using it as a way that feels good for me. And if it resonates with people, but if not, I don't feel like my business success hinges on it at all. So it's actually opened up a lot more creativity and fun over there. Absolutely. I've just, I've literally just finished a free um, challenge with my members
0: about growing your your social media. And the bottom line of everything that I've been talking about really is how can you have a bit more fun with it? Totally. Because, you know, wouldn't life be boring if it was just, oh, I've got to talk about mental health every day. I mean, right. yeah, that's what we do, of course, but Right, right. can we not have a little bit of fun with it? And right. I think the fact that you can do TikToks and you, there's so much leeway about doing all these different things just opens everything up for us. Anyway, I'm talking, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to connect with Lindsay, I'll put all of the links somewhere around this recording. So it'll be around here somewhere. So pop over and say hi to tell her that, you know, you heard her on the podcast and, uh, Yeah. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I really do appreciate this. Oh, it was such a pleasure,
1: Jane. Thanks for having me.
0: See, I told you she was amazing, didn't I? So a really massive thank you to Lindsay for joining us today and sharing all of that knowledge and wisdom. I mean, I literally could have chatted with her for absolutely ages, you know. So go and say hi to her on her social media. Tell her that you heard about her here on the Grow Your Private Practice podcast and say hi I know she'd appreciate it I've shared the links of how to get in touch with her around this podcast somewhere and if you're struggling with financial anxiety maybe check out her book the financial anxiety solution and again I've put a link around somewhere around this and if you'll find it there and also her free a free quiz all about financial archetypes have a little look at that as well that's about it from me today so you know thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast I really appreciate you listening to this you know I I do these podcasts I record these podcasts I get these guests but it means nothing without you listening to it so thank you so much for supporting me I do appreciate the support that I get from you and for the people that do get in touch with me with an email to thank me I really really appreciate that thank you so much So if you have enjoyed it, be sure to click subscribe and listen every week. And if you know somebody else that's a counsellor, tell them about it, share it with them. And uh, yeah, fantastic. Have a fantastic week. Take really good care of yourself. And I shall look forward to speaking to you again next week. All right, take care. Bye-bye.